Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lawyers in the Making podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nate Crespo, and today we have another incredible guest. He's a University of Illinois Chicago School of Law graduate and currently works as an attorney and counselor at Howard & Howard Attorneys, PLLC. He's held past positions as a partner at Latmir, LeVay, and Fayak, and as an adjunct professor at the John Marshall Law School. Finally, he's also the co-host of the Podium and Panel podcast with past guest Patrick Eckler. I'm extremely excited to have him on the podcast today. Mr. Dan Cotter, welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today? Nate, thanks for having me, and I, I'm doing great. You know, it's uh, it's a winter wonderland out there, but uh, uh, we we didn't get hit too bad in Chicago, and uh, just uh, uh, excited to be on with you, and glad we connected. So happy. To I I am glad we connected as well. I've been very very excited for this episode, and I hope I said that law the 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 past position law firm right. I always get scared when I'm reading those words, but. Someone asked me. Someone asked me the uh, yesterday because uh, we were over at the Chicago Bar for uh, nominating, and, and one of the people nominated for the nominating committee was a young lawyer that's over at uh, Latimer Levey Fayok, and they asked about how to how to say that as well. It's one of those words that every time I've ever had anybody, they they're hesitant to say it because it it, it could go wrong. <laughs> this this especially this this certainly isn't the first episode. I'm 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 asking the person if I said something right every time. It's a, <laughs> it's a scary moment for me. But Dan, before we get started, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm I, I'm an attorney. This is uh, I'm entering my 29th year. I uh, I post a lot on LinkedIn about uh, a couple of things, uh, law and cyber and privacy. Um, but here at Howard and Howard, I practice corporate and transactional law with a heavy emphasis on insurance, regulatory, and transactional, and also a heavy dose of privacy and cyber. Like I said, I've been a lawyer for 29 years. I, as you mentioned, I graduated from UIC, formerly known as the John Marshall Law School. A uh, long story behind that of uh, the name change and people were uh, petitioned to change it from John Marshall, uh, but uh, was an adjunct professor for there for several years uh, before I became Chicago Bar President and uh, try to be involved in a lot of different things, uh, including the American Bar Association, including uh, with, with law students and young lawyers and mentoring. Yeah, so definitely looking through, doing some research before we, we came here today to do this podcast, you have a lot going on in your life. And I love that. You're a very busy man. I wish to be a busy man like that one day myself. But going back into your career, because I always find in researching for guests, I said this last episode, and I probably said that said this the episode before, but it's becoming a trend where people really do have interesting paths. It's never yeah. the traditional, it's never from college to law school. There's always some gaps, there's always something that happened. Now, you graduated from Monmouth in accounting, and then you became an accountant at CNA. So, you know, from there, you then went to the University of Illinois Chicago School of Law. So what kind of, can you describe that experience and starting from accounting and then deciding to go to the law? Sure, absolutely. And yeah, I was the, when, when I was an undergrad, I, uh, uh, from day one, unlike a lot of students, I knew I wanted to be an accounting major, uh, thanks in large part to uh, a baseball coach and a, accounting teacher at, at my uh, high school, uh, Gordon Tech. 
quick aside on that, on that uh, Red Miller was his name, and uh, he was a baseball coach. He was also kind of a disciplinarian. There was the Addison Snack Shop, which the acronym was the ASS, across the street. <laughs> and we, we weren't supposed to leave campus, but kids went over there to smoke, play pinball, and do whatever. And uh, he would sometimes jump out the window and go get those kids back. But at any event, uh, Red Miller, uh, his track record, at least when I graduated, I took accounting from, from that class. And, and out of 700 guys that graduated my year, I don't know how many uh, actually became accountants, but a lot of my friends did, uh, and they're still working in accounting. So I uh, I got out of, out of undergrad. I went to work at CNA Financial, as you mentioned. Uh, was was the uh, one of the few places that that offered me a job. I had no experience in accounting, just like a lot of law students have no experience in law, and I ask about that. And uh, I was in a rotational program there and uh, did very well, and then got placed into investment accounting. And uh, one of the things you mentioned, I went to Monmouth College. I was, uh, I did a d- decent job on the football field and academically, and uh, uh, an organization, the National Football Foundation and Hall of Fame, uh, granted me a postgraduate scholarship. Back then, it was, I think it was like twenty-five or thirty-five hundred bucks. Now, now they give like eighteen thousand bucks or twenty-eight. It's a lot of more money. And if you're the winner of the whole, like you, uh, there, there's a top w- award that they announced recently. You get like I don't know. 50,000 maybe. But in any event, I get this letter in 1990. I, I just been, I got married six months before wow. uh, I, I passed the CPA exam in 89. I get the uh, letter saying, Hey, your, your scholarship's expiring. It's been two years and it's going to expire in June of 1990. I'm like, well, I don't want to go get my MBA. And I uh, had thought about law school as a, an undergrad, but, but, but didn't really pursue it. And so I called all the law schools in Chicago and I said, can I order the class? I've got this money. And they said, no, you got to take the LSAT. And so I came home in like July after I got the extension and told my wife, hey, you know, I got to go take this LSAT exam. <laughs> she was like, whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> I took the exam and then I applied to law schools and, and it, uh, got some, some unsolicited offers out of, out of town. And then uh, uh, John Marshall, and uh, Chicago Kent were the only two schools that started in January, which was what the extension was that I negotiated. Right, I was a brilliant negotiator back in the <laughs> before I went to law school. I got a six-month extension on this massive amount of money, and so uh, I, I got the offer from John Marshall. It had no money. Kent gave me some money, but not tons. John Marshall was right around the corner from CNA Financial, and so I called him back and said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to not take it unless I get some additional money." And so I got some additional money and started law school and uh and so that's that that's how i got into law and uh you know one of the things that i really liked uh just immediately was kind of the intellectual stimulation the challenge of law school uh which sounds kind of bad because anybody that's gone through first semester law school knows it's a rough uh road but but uh i i really liked it and and part of what 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 i think it was uh nate is that i i refer to uh, law school, uh, for those that are looking at it, is kind of a, a master's or an advanced degree in the liberal arts education. Monmouth was a liberal arts school, so even though I was an accounting major, I took tons of you know different philosophy, religion, language, all kinds of arts and stuff. And uh, you know, it, it, because it it makes you critically think. You have to be a good listener, a good communicator. You have to be a good writer. 
and uh, read and digest a lot of information. And so that was kind of, uh, I just loved it. Yeah, so I got a couple of questions from that. First, what position in football did you play? I was very interested. Sure. I was a center. And uh, so I was the, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was a center. And uh, one of the things I read way back and I've always had pride in and is, is that the center position is the, is typically uh, not always, but typically the, the, the uh, best academic person on the team, just because the play calling and, you know, all the things that you have to process. But uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but, uh, and, and I don't know, post, football if, if getting your head knocked around <laughs> that it remains the case but at least you start out with some with some brains in your head yeah i mean i'm i'm a i'm a bit i'm a bit a couple of years removed from my last football playing experience but i i would say as as a former qb i know all too well the, the complexities of it all and you know the the center is really really is underrated like one of the most important positions on the field because it all it starts with them nothing right? goes forward without the center so we yeah. thank you for your service as a center. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> on behalf of the football community. So also another thing is this is a bit of a callback. This is the second time I've heard intellectual stimulation as a very big draw for law school. Uh, Brian Ginsburg, I believe he was the third episode. Sure. He had talked a ton about because he did a ton of mathematics at Columbia and then he eventually went to law school because you know he's he's taking these complex problems he's breaking them down uh, but he found the law was a bit different where there was no defined answer at the end and he really really you know just enjoyed that part of law school and clearly it was a big enjoyment for you as well um so let's talk about law school let's get into the first year I always say it's very traumatic but how was that first year for you? Can you describe it? Sure, it was. Uh, it, was it was a completely different experience. I, again, I went to a small liberal arts school. We were, we were very interactive, but it wasn't Socratic method. And uh, you know, the first day of class I think was Torts One, and uh, we had a, a Craig Peterson was his name, and he uh, was a very good professor, but was became known as one of the smiley knives. I don't know if you guys use that term. But back then, it was these uh, professors, and I don't know if, if that phrase was common, but it, it, John Marshall and others I met would always talk about the smiley knife, that they were very kind and friendly, but if you weren't prepared or if you, you know, you, on your exams, they would just torch it up. And um, and so I, I, my first night was torch one, I think. The second night was contracts, and that was uh, happened to be in 1991, uh, the first Gulf War. And it was contracts, and our professor uh, told us to go home and watch the news and catch up. He said that you know the the, the law will be here, the cases aren't going to change, and uh, it, it just uh, I, I enjoyed it. But but then we got the finals, you know, and fi the 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 uh, uh, just intensity of it and going to school, uh, working full time at CNA. I was an accountant, and so. Uh, you can imagine January when I started, January of 1991, I started. Uh, that was the closing uh, part of the season. I was in, uh, by then I was in investment accounting. And so I would go to class on Saturday mornings and then I'd go directly over to uh, CNA Financial and work on the, the uh, financials and the investments. And, and uh, I'd learn to program a, a certain uh, language that only one other person in the entire CNA Financial at the time knew. 
<laughs> and so I'd go over there. We'd work on that all day. Then I'd go home and do homework and, you know, try to be with my wife and her family. So um, it's intense, right? It's just it's a different thing. And I'll, I'll tell you, uh, before, uh, prior to the first semester, we got a bunch of stuff for, like, preparation and reading. And it was so foreign to me. I, I had no lawyers in my family. I don't know if you do, but I, I had no lawyers in the family. I didn't know any lawyers. And so some of the stuff on top of the pages, these these uh, abbreviations, 315, NE2, 5.96, I'm like, what what in the hell is all this stuff at the top of the page and Westlaw keys? And it was it was just so much to absorb. And then again, it, 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 to me, the, the biggest adjustment, I think, for any law student is that in, in college, no matter what classes you have, you have quarters, then you have exams, you have papers. Other than writing classes at at uh, law school, uh, which you had papers and stuff, you got feedback. As we all know, this single grade in many of the classes, especially for the uh, requirements, where you sat down for three hours on a on a given night at the end of the semester and regurgitated and tried to spit out and analyze as much as you could, and then you waited a month or two for your grades. And again, it's just a, the the feeling was so much, like walking on a tightrope after being in college. And, you know, you get feedback. In my accounting classes, we had quizzes on every Friday when they first started in accounting. So it was just a, it was a whole different uh, ball, ball game. Yeah, it seems that for law school, it's a lot of wandering in the unknown, a lot of a lot of uncertainty. And that's what I feel like makes it most daunting from what I've heard from people. Uh, going going back to your other point, not having any lawyers in the family. I I don't know many. I think there's two lawyers in my family. They're a little distant though. Um, so that was pretty. That was a very big reason in starting this podcast because like I didn't. I'm just kind of wandering in in the abyss over here. So you know, uh, connecting with lawyers, kind of getting a better idea of what law school is going to be, what you know, future paths could be in my own sort of life, as well as people who listen to this podcast. Uh, I definitely would say I I did my first legal internship over the summer. I worked at the DA's office, and I do remember the first time them handing me a, you know, I think it was just like a motion, and I was reading it, and it's just, a, I had my computer right in front of me, it'd be like, I read one sentence, and be like, all right, I got to reread that, and like, you know, I would be typing in different words, be like, oh, this means this, okay, so I'd write it in. I literally, like, half the page was crossed out because I'm just translating the whole thing trying to get to, trying to get something and then oh, the citations i was like what is this um so it was very it was very eye-opening experience to see that it really is a different language that you know the things that you thought you know this word means in english but in the, in the law it's it's on the other side of the earth uh, in right. terms of meeting now in terms of law school going forward you were on the law review mock trial and number one in your class. Congratulations on that. I know it's been a very Thank long you. time since you did that, but that's a that's a big achievement. Um, can, I appreciate that. Can you talk about the extracurriculars that you were involved in the law review mock trial, which is close to hard for me? I just retired, but can you can you describe it? Sure. Yeah. I, I uh, again was fortunate enough to to grade on to to law review, and uh, whenever that was, I think it was in my second year. It's a it's a bit different as you know because you know if you go at night like I did it, it's a four year process you don't have as many credits but the 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 semester that I did a law review 
I had law review, and I think I had uh, 13 or 15 in, uh, total credits, and uh, it was it was one of my most packed uh, semesters. And uh, one of the things that that uh, uh, you know I always remember on that is is I was at CNA Financial, and so I asked some of the people uh, that that were in the law department that I'd met by then uh, what what topics might be good. And uh, one of the ladies that that handled the investments and a lot of the investment related stuff, she gave me a thing about uh, the savings and loan crisis and uh, somehow uh, stepping into the shoes of the of the of the insured and the bank and and so it sounded like a great topic and then like, like any law review article after about you know two months with it I was like you know I I just want to be done right and like <laughs> it was it was a brutal process um, but it it was a great experience and I t I tell students you know it's 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 like being a Boy Scout I guess in high school or or one of the few things that a law review when you when you look at uh, firm websites when you look at DA when you look at judges anything the one thing from law school that they have on is is moot court mock trial and and law review they they have some other stuff but those are the really big things and so the experience was great um my note did not get published and I was fine with that and then I became a, a an editor the next uh, semester and that was that was fun uh my uh, one of the students that was uh, a year behind me, his his article did get published, and uh, uh, now now that I think about it, I need to to reach out to him. We we kind of lost track over the last several years, but um, that was fun. Uh, mock trial to me was 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 a blast. Um, I didn't do moot court, but I did uh, a mock trial, and uh, it was really just a great experience to get you're, you're used to, like you said, the motions and stuff, but just uh, class and stuff, it's one one thing to be a question and stuff, Socratic method, but being uh, on trial and like having to think and, and be on your feet to object, there was, there was one instance where the witness said something and I was late because I was trying to process something <laughs> or my, my co-counsel was telling me something and I popped up and objected and, you know, the judge said, you know, ah, too late. <laughs> but, uh, it, 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 those were good experiences, and I always tell law students, you know, do do whatever you can on those fronts because, again, they're they're uh, differentiators. You know, everybody's uh, came into law school very br bright. Uh, everybody's doing well, probably. You know, the, the depending on your grading at your particular law school, but they're differentiators, and they can get you in open doors because when people see moot court, mock trial, uh, law review. Uh, other other types of research stuff it just gives them gives you a leg up and really gives gives you entree uh but you know as a as a night student i think the 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 biggest challenge for me was just uh fitting these things in i also did an externship with a uh a, a person that did a lot of arbitrations but he also did a lot of litigation and that was the the biggest uh most fun i probably had in law school he had uh one case where uh, his clients had gone to Vegas for, I think it was New Year's Day, but it may have been some other event. And one of them got knocked over by the police. I don't, you know, the video was kind of hard to tell, but there's video everywhere in Vegas. He got knocked over a, a mailbox. And then he was, uh, he eventually appeared to the, his client, I think, at Maury Povich or one of those shows, you know, <laughs> where, and, and it was so, it, it, I got to go out and watch the taping. And, and it, <laughs> you know, 
they had him like rewalk and do the stuff, you know, like those those shows of crime and like, you know, it was it was kind of ridiculous. You know? <laughs> uh, those were good experiences. Yeah, I I I just want to say, uh, you know, you talked about mock trial. I ha I have such a love for mock trial. It was it's honestly oh, one, some of the best experiences I've had. Uh, just in you know, it's a ton of preparation, uh, Yeah. especially I, I don't know what law school mock trial is like, but college mock trial, you know, you, you're getting twelve to thirteen page affidavits. You got to go through all of it. But my big goal, because I only started last year. Um, but then this year I became a coach. So I was a lot more involved. Um, unfortunately though, I, I had to retire. I have a lot, I, you know, it was like, I had a lot going on. Something had to be sacrificed and Right. it was macho, but, uh, a very big thing in my experience was like going from notes to no notes. I know that's a very, it's a very crucial thing in mock trial. All the judges always talk about it. Uh, so I really felt I had, I had two cross examinations only did it with a post-it note. It felt great. It was, you know, it, it, it very much taught me how to listen to people though, like truly listen to people, see what they're saying, poking holes in what they're saying, even, you know, when they do the direct examination, uh, taking information from that and using it against them, like a very big thing that I found. But I, I always like to express my love for mock trial. Now, in your time in law school, you actually became a paralegal at CNA Insurance, which I thought was amazing. How did you do that? I have to ask. Sure. And, and again, I, I didn't have a formal certificate or anything, but uh, that, that was my title. So so what happened was uh, about halfway through law school, uh, two years in after my second year, uh, one of one of my uh, references for law school uh, was the uh, treasurer at uh, CNA Financial, because, again, I was uh, I did a lot of work in that area. And so one of the things I did was I just. decided I was going to write thank you notes to all of my uh, references that gave me approval, my football coach, my uh, her, and one other person. And so she she called me up out of the blue. I was still in investment accounting. And she said, do you know anybody up in the law department at, at, at CNA? And at that point, I really did not. And so I said, no, nah, you know, I really don't know a lot of people up there. She said, well, uh, uh, the number two person up there is a guy that's, you know, uh, does a lot of work with me. He's a great person to meet. He's uh, happy to have a conversation with you. Do you want me to send your information? And so I did. And so his name was Paul Horahan. And so I, I got invited up to him and, and sat down there, was very nervous. You know, I'd never really talked to lawyers. Um, and uh, other than that, as an aside, when I was in investment accounting and, and, uh, And and uh, other accounting areas, I used to have to go up to the law department sometimes to get things signed off on and stuff. But they didn't know me from Adam. You know, I would just go up there and like I got to see Tom or whatever, whoever, and they'd sign the thing, and I'd go, you know, back down the stairs. But uh, so I talked to Paul, and he says, you know what, uh, we don't have any positions, but you know, let's stay in touch. And then a few, probably a month or two later, uh, one of the paralegals in litigation. Uh, had gone into the head of litigation's uh, VP of litigation, who was an interesting guy that I'm still in touch with. And uh, she, she's crying. She's like, you know, I love this place, but my husband's, uh, he was a lawyer. He's moving up to Michigan. And so we're moving to Michigan and we don't have an office, blah, 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 blah you know, all this. This is back in the 90, early 90s. So uh, he's, he, he, he like, uh, 
again, very interesting guy. Whilst he's in there kind of telling them that she's leaving, he calls me up and says, uh, I'd like you to come up tomorrow morning. Uh, there's a, there's an opening in my uh, area. I don't know who he was. So I go up there the next morning, and uh, there's two ladies in the room, the other two paralegals of the litigation group. And it was the most brutal, was one of the most brutal interviews I've ever had in my life because I didn't know the story at the time that Amy, the one that was leaving, had, had told them, and, and Tom said, oh, I got the perfect replacement for you. And so I go up there, and I'm interviewing with these two, and they're like, you know, what do you know about law and what do you know about this and that? And so I, uh, I'm thinking, well, I, I don't have any chance to get in this thing. Right. So, um, and then my, my phone rings a couple of days later, it's, it's the head of litigation, Tom, he says, uh, I've got good news and bad news for you. He says, uh, I'm offering you a job as a paralegal up here. I said, okay. He said, the bad news is if you don't take it, your job in accounting's been, accounting has been eliminated. And, and the reason they did that was because they didn't want to open up the uh, selection process for other people who didn't have the skills that, that like in, the, in my area and stuff, people were like, oh, I want to go up to the law and do some, you know. So uh, I said, I think I'll take it. And then uh, there was a transition period. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, the craziest thing with that was back in those days, there was no voicemail. There was these pink sheets that said while you were out and my first day up there, I'm up there for like two hours. I get a stack of like 30 pink sheets. <laughs> and some of them go back months and months and months. Like, And so I'm calling these people. Sometimes it's attorneys. It's claims adjusters. It's And and like I have no idea what, what, what they called about. And and sometimes they're like, you know, I need to talk to Tom. You know, can you get Tom on the line? <laughs> go run those. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Uh and then you know, eventually, with the two that uh, uh, the two paralegals that were were, were kind of uh, harsh to me, uh, uh, we eventually became good friends. Sadly, they both both passed away in the last several years. But uh, um, and I went to the one's wedding, and you know, and uh, it, it turned out okay. But and, and I found out the story of why they were so hostile at, at first. And so, so so that's I, I was a paralegal for about. Uh, a year and a quarter, my last year and a quarter of law school, and uh, it was great. Yeah, it's, that's a that's a that's very funny to me. The the big transition from going from downstairs to upstairs was probably it's probably a little crazy. Um, I would I would imagine you know having to take that extra that extra floor up just just to get to the legal department instead of your your formal formally the accounting department you were at. No, it was it was it was it was more like like ten floors, but I used to walk the stairs and then. Uh, eventually I stopped doing that because I, I, like I said, when I was in investment accounting, I'd have to go around and get all signatures and go drop off copies. And I went mm -hmm. up to the executive floor one time and I was all like sweaty and stuff. And <laughs> it was like July and the, the, the stairs were, were very hot and uh, people used to run them, you know, but I never ran them, but I, I'd walk <laughs> up and down to get some exercise and they're like, what in the hell's going on? Why, why are you all sweaty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, the place where I work at up in Albany, um, I serve papers because my dad owns a process serving company. Um, and they actually have like a sign on every single floor in front of the elevators. And it's like, 
it, they're having like some stair challenge, I think, in the office or something. And really? it's like, it says like, oh, why are you at the elevator? You should be taking the stairs. And I saw last time, I was like, oh my God, I guess the elevator is broken. I thought it was broken. So I like start walking away. Some guy gets on the elevator behind me. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Um, but, so that, that, that was my stair elevator experience. Now, after being a paralegal, you became an associate at Lord Bissell and Brooke. Did I say that right? You did. Oh, you did. wow, look at me. Um, and then you eventually went back to CNA. You were the senior counsel. And as time went on, you were then the senior ca- senior counselor Utrin? Unitrin? Unitrin. Okay, yeah. there we go. And then, so I have to ask, all the job shifting, can you explain, <laughs> can you describe that? I've... Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've had to explain that to, over the course of my career, <laughs> including when I interviewed here at, at Howard and Howard, uh, you know, almost five years ago now. Um, so what, what happened was, is, so I graduated. And uh, again, I told you about Tom, I told you about Paul. Um, uh, I, I had uh, tried to be, get into a law firm and, and wanted to be a litigator. Uh, my ultimate goal was to be a U.S. attorney, but that didn't work out because of uh, family and a lot of other things, and I never applied. But so what happened was I, I uh, again, I didn't do any uh, summering. I didn't do any clerkships, any externships at any law firm, never worked at a law firm. I had that one, one and a third or one and a quarter years of paralegal service at, at CNA Financial. And so I was feverishly uh, applying back in those days before computers and using good typing paper and going up to the library every day at nine o'clock and typing for an hour, sending all these packets with all this postage on it to every firm I could find on Martindale Hubble. And uh, my good friend from law school uh, was was a member of a social club in Chicago and on the insurance committee, a couple of Lord Bistol uh, partners were on that committee. And he said, you should talk to my friend, Dan, He's got an insurance background. He's been working for almost 10 years uh, in accounting or, or six and a half years in insurance. He's got great contacts. He's a great guy. He's a really good student. And so I interviewed with them and they said, well, we, you know, again, we don't have any associate positions. We just made offers. And, you know, and so um, uh, but but it ended up happening is, is that, uh, again, Tom, the head of litigation, wrote a letter of reference. Hey, this guy's great. You should consider him. And so I got a call and I got hired at, at, at Lord Bissell, which is now Lock Lord. If you've uh, those listeners that may be more familiar with that name, um, they merged years after I left. But in any event, I go to work at Lord Bissell. I'm doing great things. I got uh, because I, I had passed the CPA exam and had an accounting. First day I was admitted. Uh, the next day I went and, and deposed a, a, an alleged expert and uh, really tore him apart. Um, and, uh, the senior associates like that was great, but hold some back, like, you know, that was brutal. And, uh, I ended up getting great experience. I wrote some briefs. I went and argued the briefs at the uh, Northern district of Illinois and at the uh, circuit court of Cook County was having a great time. And then, uh, what happened was I got a call from one of the paralegals that I'd worked with up in litigation. And she said, uh, one of, one of the account, uh, one of the attorneys in a, in a, non-litigation uh, position uh, her husband had gotten a job at Scadden Arps and so she was moving to New York and so there was a position open and would I be interested in coming back and so 
Uh, I interviewed at, at CNA, and it was the it, again, it was a surreal interview because I went back and I interviewed for about eight and a half hours. I, it was the longest interview day of my life, and I interviewed with people that I'd worked with as as a paralegal and and had done substantial stuff with, you know, and. They were asking, like, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And tell us about yourself and your background. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> and then, so I got hired and uh, was working there and uh, was Y2K general counsel and doing a lot of things. Uh, and, and then what happened was, was CNA, uh, just like when I became a paralegal, was going through some, uh, some, some uh, pain in terms of downsizing and stuff. I got moved to the commercial group and was, it, it was great, and uh, uh, people, you know, people were interested in keeping me around. Um, and then I got a call uh, from Unitrin, uh, and uh, the recruiter had called a bunch of people and said, "Hey, we got this insurance position uh, just north of you guys, and you know, are, uh, anybody of interest." And my name came up repeatedly. Um, the, the the issue at CNA was there was a huge law department. And, and I, I just saw that I was going to be kind of in a position for a while. And so uh, Unitrin made me a nice offer. I, I got stock options for the first time. I went to Unitrin and, and uh, helped them build their property and casualty business from $600 million to $2.1 billion in five years. Uh, did uh, a major acquisition of, of, uh, of Lumberman's Kemper. Uh, did did a lot of uh, IT and, and a lot of uh, other things, internal investigations and stuff. And then their sister company, Argonaut Group, a former sister company, they called me. And again, they said, we'd love to have you come here and be our regulatory guy. And I went there for five years. And then what happened was, you know, I, I'd been in, in-house for 13 and a half years. One of my good friends from from uh, Lord Bissell days had started his own firm. And he said, you should come with me and, you know, do some regulatory stuff and do this uh, transactional stuff. Um, most of his business was in Bermuda. There were some some uh, 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 limits on what work he could do for one of the clients until we ramped up. And then I formed my own firm, uh, Corey Cotter. Um, tried tried my first and only jury trial in uh, 2012. And then was looking for a bigger platform. Uh, because uh, that was a very small firm. And uh, what ended up happening was a former Lord Bissell partner, again, Lord Bissell has a big kind of reach into to these job transitions, was the CEO of a life insurance company. And he wanted to demutualize it and then take it public. And so I got hired there, and uh, we tried to take it public, uh, get, hit some snags, they weren't ready. And uh, I left it. And then, again, I, I knew some people at, at, at Butler Rubin, and again, they asked me to come on and do some regulatory work, and uh, we uh, again went there. They settled a very large case. They ended up being in a position where they were kind of looking for a partner, and so I uh, was looking. I went to Latimer Levey, and uh, a very good position. One of my mentees, who's now here at Howard and Howard with me, uh, was there, and then uh, he started talking to Howard and Howard about five years ago. Uh, not quite five years ago, but pr- pretty much. It was very early in, in, in 2019, and uh, we came over with one other uh, colleague from Latimer LeVay, and I've been here uh, now for four and a half years. And so and and, and so I always explain to people, uh, the, w- the one thing I tell law students, I tell young lawyers, I tell people looking at job transitions is 
uh, the one thing, one bit of advice I would give is is if you're going to go in house or you're going to go into from in house to private practice, uh, be on a consistent path because that that middle uh, in house uh, kind of uh, was a derailment and you know I mean it was a nice it was a great because it it gave me some skills and some things I hadn't done I hadn't filed an S one before I hadn't uh, uh, demutualized a company. Skills that are valuable, but that two and a half years, you know, was very good. And then when I went to pr back to private practice, I had zero book of business, almost 50 years old. You know, all the clients that I'd had and built up from scratch in, in the prior three-year uh, private practice uh, had gone to other people. I'd put them in good hands. And so it took a long time to ramp up again. And uh, it probably took, you know, I'm, I'm back in private practice eight and a half years. It probably took you know, honestly, three and a half, four years to really get my sea legs about me. There's so much there. I have so much. Yeah. To say. Um, yeah. So first, I just want to say, I don't I don't I don't know if you watch wrestling. There's a guy edge and he they call him the ultimate opportunist. You are the epitome of the ultimate opportunist. Everything that came your way, you took. And I love I love that attitude. I love that mindset. It's a wonderful Thank thing you. to have. But I think another important thing that you kept talking about with all, of, I think every single job you named, it was through another person. And you also are the epitome of who it is all about who, you know, I know there's this one quote, I don't know who said it, but it's, you know, your, your network is your net worth. Can you talk yeah. about how important networking is and, and mentorship, especially to your career? I mean, every single job was through another friend. It's been through friends and it's been through mentors like like the Paul at CNA that brought me back. Um, as a quick aside, I forgot to mention it. So what I learned later was in, in February after I passed the uh, – after I left and went to Lord Bissell, uh, Paul goes into Tom's office, the head of litigation, and says, hey, when's Dan coming back? Because he thought I was just out for the uh, the bar exam. And Tom said, he's not coming back. It's a great thing, you know. I, I helped him get a job. Now he he sent me a letter, but uh, and and the the story was is that Paul was very upset. He's like, you know, why did we not hire him? And Tom, to his credit, said, you know, we don't hire right out of out of law school, right? That's always been the policy of this organization. But in any event, uh, mentoring and networking and and uh, business development, all of all of those three things to me have have been all of all uh, uh, that there is. Uh, you know, mo mo uh, a lot of my clients today are are from a guy that uh, was was a lifting partner of mine. He was a John Marshall Law School student. He saw that I was raising money for uh, uh, by powerlifting for charity. He's a, he's a was a national uh, class uh, powerlifter himself. Uh, we started lifting. He became an extern of mine at uh, when I was at Argonaut Group. He uh, then became a colleague of mine when I went to that law firm. Uh, that that uh, my former Lord Bissell guy w was on. He then became a partner of mine at the law firm when I established Corey Cotter, and then he uh, went in house and 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 has been a great resource and a great great friend. And um, you know, I think you know one of the things I think we met on LinkedIn. I think you know the the I can't I can't say enough about networking and and asking your network. Uh, I met with a, a young lady yesterday. Uh, who's a law student at UIC? She posted some stuff you may have seen about uh, growing up in poverty and wanting to be in big law, and a lot of feedback on that. 
but she was kind of talking about her externships and about, you know, some judges and stuff. And that was the advice I gave her is, is reach out to that network and, and just stay in touch, ask questions. And if they offer, hey, if you ever need anything, please let me know. Take them up on it, right? Um, if, if there's something that they can help you with, they they will. And that's been my philosophy. I've, I have a lot of mentees uh, myself because I've been I, I've had the benefit of people like Paul and Tom and and uh, Dick Hemmings, who was the the CEO of the, the life company that I went to to try to take it public. Um, there, there are such mentors uh, and and uh, strong people, and I I can't tell you how many times I still reach out to folks that I've worked with in whatever capacity whether they're lawyers or non-lawyers, when questions come up from my clients, you bounce ideas. Hey, Nate, do you know about this? You know, remember when we did this? Refresh my memory of who I need to contact in Illinois or New York, or do you have the form? And it's to me, it's it's, it's so important uh, to, to have a strong network, to constantly build it. And uh, one time I saw an article in the, in the newspaper, and it compared a, a net networking to gardening. They said you have to plant the seeds, and then you have to pull the weeds, and you have to constantly, you know, so so that you can harvest the the, the results. And it's like that with networking as well. Um, uh, years ago, I came up with the the thank you method of networking, and a lot of it had to do with staying in touch and and uh, keeping keeping people apprised of what's going on, because one of the things you see sometimes on on LinkedIn. And in other varieties, sometimes I know with certain people in my network, when they reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email, I know that it's because they're looking at a job or something because the only time I ever speak with them is, is then. And so, yeah, I can't emphasize enough. Like you said, every every job opportunity, every opening has been because somebody uh, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we have this position you'd be great, or people gave your name because of the, the work you do and, and the reputation you have. Yeah, I, I think in in my own, you know, sort of short, very short networking experience, I don't, I don't know how long, it's only been like a year and a half since I really started going out there talking to people, keeping in contact. Um, but I would say the most, I guess not surprising thing, but I think kind of eye-opening was how personal people are and, you know, the ability to just talk to people and and their willingness to answer and their willingness to help. I think a lot of people out there, just like yourself, you have a ton of mentees. I, I think people are, are very, very, they want to help. They really want to help you. They, they, they have your interests in mind. And I think that was one of the most important things for me when like, when I felt, you know, maybe, oh, should I reach out to this person? Just do it. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that was a big thing for me. Just like, you know, you just send the message. If they don't, the worst thing that could happen if they don't answer. And the best thing that can happen is they could get you a job that can change your life. And, you know, I, I'd rather if putting it in probabilities. I, I definitely take, take the, uh, the, the latter. Uh, I, I think also as well, especially for yourself, Not I'm a philosophy major, so it's like I have to put a little philosophical spin <laughs> on it. But I think especially for yourself, you're always putting good energy out there. You're always touching people, not actually touching people, but, you know, <laughs> talking to them and, and interacting with them and helping them. I, I think especially in, in life itself, from what I've seen in the short 20 years that I have on this earth, 
as you know what, what you put out there always comes back to you in some way shape or form and that is especially especially true for yourself Dan I mean every single person you met throughout your legal experience have somehow seemingly helped you in some certain way to you know get you up that ladder um sort of switching gears here Uh, I have to ask about the business development of of law firms. I no one on the podcast so far has had this sort of background, and I just have to ask: uh, You said something about uh, unmutualizing or demutualizing something. Can can you? This is just a yeah. question for myself, honestly, because I'm interested. What kind of goes into that, or what even is that? So, so there there are different forms of insurance companies and in, in or or other corporations. And so, like banks, you'll see thrift. If you ever see thrift savings, that's that's like a mutual of banking. What it means is that, uh, in theory at least, and and again I say in theory, uh, a mutual insurance company, uh, there's no ownership. You can't. Nobody can own it. Uh, there's a big. And I say theoretically. Uh, some states like Connecticut and, and others say that the surplus belongs to the policyholders, right? So if they were to demutualize, which means taking a company from a this mutual form where everybody's a policyholder and they have some interest to uh, a stock corporation where uh, people own stock and, you know, can trade it and buy it, uh, the, um, uh, the process of demutualization is you have to get authority. Like Illinois has a statute that says you can do it. It has a process. You have to get board, uh, your members, all all the members. There has to be a majority that have to give you approval. Um, and, and there's a process uh, of it. Um, but but uh, what, what what happened? What uh, really is is that the kind of the not the founder, but one of the one of the leading kind of Uh, brains behind demutualizations was the guy who uh, was the CEO of the life company I worked at. He uh, uh, made a lot of money on, on bank savings and loans and thrifts when they converted to uh, converted to stock companies, and he saw how you can make good money on that. And so, um, so that's what it is. It's taking it from this kind of collective where nobody really owns it to a definitive ownership and In a lot of in a lot of uh, ways, it, it it allows the company to go public. It allows the company to get capital up from outside, and so that that's what a demutualization is. And uh, it's uh, it, and there's been uh, Illinois passed a statute has a statute on the books. I think there's been four or five demutualizations in Illinois. I've been involved in I think every one of them in some aspect. <laughs> um, just because again, I worked at that company that was trying to go was trying to become the first. It didn't make it to be the first because of some some other uh, hiccups, but it had the knowledge, and so uh, that that that's what that is. It's a sort. Is it a sort of? Uh, listen, I know nothing, but is sort of like growth mechanism. It kind it of is. mutual it is. caps it off, and then this allows yeah. it. They said yeah, out capital. So because with the mutual, other than the premiums that it gets in the door and its investments, it really doesn't have a a, re, a way to get financing, right? So. Um, I mean, there's some some esoteric ways that they can get some some notes and, and loans, but it really kind of constricts them. So, and a lot of these mutuals are uh, on the small side, so they can't really expand. They can't do new products, and so this is a way, yeah, it's a, to to grow and expand, and that's typically what it's done for. Yeah, that was more of just a personal question for myself. I was very interested in it, yeah. and I and I 
I've never heard of it before. So, you know, I have to ask those things. Now, you've been talking about it. You've been you've been saying it a little bit. You've been talking about lifting. And I myself, I started going to the gym my senior year of high school. And I don't think I've missed a day since. I am a lover of the gym. It is like, I call it, I call it my church. It's like, you know, every, people go to church every Sunday. I go to the gym every day. Is uh, I can't talk about the gym enough. I think uh, some of the most wonderful things. But you had a couple of lifting charity organizations. Can you talk about your lifting experience, I guess? Let's do that. Why not? Sure, sure. So uh, uh, about 10 years out of uh, out of undergraduate, uh, like I said, I played football. I went back for my 10th uh, uh, anniversary reunion, and my coach and some of my other fellow linemen said, wow, you've, you've gone the pot, uh, Cotter. You know, and so I came back. I came in seriously. This was the October of '98, and uh, you know, I, 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 uh, in the ten years, I, I'd uh, taken and passed the CPA exam in two attempts. I got married. I, I had uh, uh, my first kid, uh, who's was born in '97. Uh, was working hard, and just wasn't really exercising. Wasn't going to the gym. Didn't have a gym membership, and so I, I came home from that. And I joined a gym, and then one of my buddies, who's now at the uh, Southern Mississippi, uh, is that the right title? So I think it's Southern Mississippi. He's a track coach. He was track coaching football and track back then, and uh, he was a fellow lineman of mine and a, and a shot putter and really a, a phenomenal athlete. He said you ought to think about entering some powerlifting meets or doing just to keep your give you a focus and goal, right? Because it's otherwise like a lot of people that join gyms, they join in, you know, January and then by February they're done because they don't have a, a routine. They don't have kind of guidance. So I, uh, I started looking at that and, and started competing informally. Didn't know what, what the heck I was doing. And then, uh, in 2000, I decided that I was going to, uh, lift for, uh, charity. And, uh, there was, uh, uh, a group uh, that that did tutor mentoring uh, under the Chicago Bar, and so I offered to do that, and so I raised uh, like two thousand bucks that first time, and uh, competed, and, and then uh, and then I met the the guy that became my extern that was that really helped coach me. That was like in two thousand five, and and really became pretty competitive. I was uh, you know not world class, but but for uh, for my age and for for not having any real good techniques and stuff, I I got pretty pretty decent. But more importantly, I raised about over about ten or twelve uh, efforts. I raised more than three hundred thousand dollars for wow. inner city mentoring in Chicago, and uh, proud. And the last time I did it was in two thousand nineteen. I did a uh, bench only meet, and I, I raised money so that the uh, lawyers in the classroom project at the Chicago Bar could recondition the room and have like an office. And, uh, so we, and we don't raise that much money that time, but, uh, I didn't really make that much of an effort for it. And, uh, um, and that's, uh, and I, I, don't, I haven't competed since 2019. I, I don't know if I ever will again. Now I'm more into interval training and trying to make sure my, my health is in, in better condition. Like you said, I post on that on LinkedIn and that's more for an accountability standpoint, just to show, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I weave it into business if I can with without revealing too much about business because, you know, my clients probably don't want to be, you know, mentioned all the time. So 
Yeah, I, I always see, I, I, I'm always on the LinkedIn. I, I always see your posts. You're always either in the gym, traveling. So I'm always traveling, always some yeah. not in Chicago. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it's a, I love, I love lifting. I love going to the gym. It's my, it's the favorite part of my day. Every single day. I love it so much. I love the sauna. Oh, love the sauna. Yeah, I used to love the sauna too. The, at that gym, I joined right after I came back from the 10th anniversary. They had a great sauna. And uh, the gym I'm at now uh, doesn't have a sauna, and uh, I, I I used that was my favorite part after a workout. It's it's so somehow it it, uh, it helped like the healing process, right? The just the 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 heat and like the the muscles, you know, got like a the, all the toxins out, and uh, and like you said, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that that it's like church for you because the, the three lifters that I left with. The, the, uh, two are brothers and, and the son of one of them. Uh, their their first names are C, C, and D. And so the other day, Sunday, I sent them a note saying, hey, you know, it's my hour of power uh, uh, CCD uh, session. And and uh, that's what uh, my my youngest son talks about, that being his church. My, uh, my lifting partner, my current lifting partner talks about that's kind of his same thing. And, and uh, you know, like you said, some people go to church, you know, that, that to me is, and it's, a, it's, a, it's just, uh, I, 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 like you, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad it's back in my life, the kind of the gym piece, because it really is. It's just, for me, it's, it's mental cleansing. It's physical. It's, it's camaraderie. It's, it's good. So, you know, it's just all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the best environments I think anyone could ever be in. I know for a lot of people, it's, it's scary when you get in there. Cause especially for myself, I remember the first time going to the gym by myself. Cause initially I went with my brother and he really helped me out. So shout out Chris. Um, but he, he really got me through it. And then finally going by myself, it was one of, honestly, one, probably like a top 10 scariest experiences of my life. Yeah. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. And I'm scared that people will look at me and be like, what the hell is this guy doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm doing very, I'm doing like the shoulder press. And I'm like, am I doing this right? Are people looking at me? So it's a very, right. it's a very uh, self-conscious thing sort of experience where it's like, oh my God. But, you know, now, now I, I've had, you know, it's been, I think it's like four or three years. So it, I have a lot more experience. Obviously, I'm a lot more comfortable in the gym now. And I just, I fell in love with it. Um, so, so, so you remind me of a, when I went, first went back, I went to World Gym in 98. I joined and uh, uh, one of the first days I was in there, uh, I did like a week of machines. And then, I, then uh, to, to your thing about fear and stuff. So I played college football had been lifting since I was like 13, 12, 13, but had taken this big hiatus and, uh, you know, got fairly strong in college. And then, uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. I had like, uh, one thirty-five on the incline. And, uh, back in those days, uh, uh, I, it, it was the end of the era, I think, uh, 98, but, but they had like a gym supervisor. Mm -hmm. and this guy, he was sitting like in a chair, you know, kind of watching over the stuff. And so I go and I do this incline. I maybe do one rep, maybe two, and then it sticks on my chest, right? And I've got collars on. And he comes over and uh, he pulls it up and and puts it back in the rack. And he's like, "Hey, hey, uh, dude, you might want to think about just using machines with your lack of strength." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that's humiliating," you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I've certainly had my fair share of getting stuck. I, I know that feeling all too much. And yeah, sometimes you just got to laugh it off. I, I was just laughing. I started, I started dying laughing. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Uh, gym supervisor is crazy, by the way. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 to this day, I really don't understand it because he was almost like a lifeguard. I swear to God, <laughs> he was like in a chair. And at first I thought maybe he's lift, lifting and doing something else, but he was like at, near a beam and like just sitting there. <laughs> he, he looked kind of like a lifeguard. He just had shorts and a t-shirt on. I think he had flip-flops on and, and uh, was listening to music, whatever. I mean, it's like, I don't you know. Maybe they had enough knuckleheads like me to, that needed to be saved. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never heard of it. I've never seen a gym supervisor no. at any of my gyms. <laughs> but I, I had a question before that. In terms of powerlifting, I, uh, the gym I go to in Albany, ABC Fitness, I always say it on the podcast because it's my favorite gym I've ever been to. And I've been to, I've definitely been to my fair share of gyms. I'm happy I get to go there every single day in Albany. But I, I know a little bit about powerlifting. So, you know, wh what was your favorite event? Are you a deadlift guy, squat? Do you like the axle throw, the circus dumbbell, the, the atlas stone? What, what is it? Yeah, uh, when I powerlifted, I didn't do any of the strongman stuff. I mean, I've done oh. some of that stuff in, in prep, but uh, squat, bench, and deadlift. And, uh, you know, back when I was lifting, deadlift was probably – uh, in, in the actual competition was my favorite, uh, before kind of the CrossFit craze, you know, now, I, I mean, it's amazing when I go to meets now, or when I see kids in the gym or not just kids, but adults, the amount of, of deadlifting, you know, surpasses what, you know, my best lifts were back then they were uh, decent. Uh, but the deadlift was weird for me because, uh, probably twice or three times in my powerlifting career. So I did it in 2002. In 2003, I got injured. I hurt my back with like a light deadlift, and I got distracted, or my leg was misplaced, and like my my uh, lower back got uh, uh, jammed. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that. It can't really yeah. can't really walk for a while. My my family all told me to stop, and uh, for a variety <laughs> of reasons, I went back to to fundraising and powerlifting. But um, the actual, you know, my actual uh, favorite for like workouts and stuff was was squats, and uh, I uh, I really like the squats. I think I think that from a, a full body movement, you know, they're really good. Um, and then you know, in college, I did a lot of uh, a lot of uh, we did a lot of power cleans for football, um, and I like those. But I never really did them when it came to because the powerlifting movements, none of them really do that so yeah so the the, the com the, the compound lifts are 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 are, are crowned for you i actually i actually don't do any count compound lifts which is very interesting i have i have a very regimented program i i get it off the internet but um it's 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 fine you know i i i think like the bench press really doesn't do that that lift doesn't really do you know pure flat bench press doesn't do a lot. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it does, but it, it's, it, it's not, you, you can do a lot more with dumbbells and with, with isolation and with other muscle movements. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not that I'm anti compound lift, but especially with the, with the flat bench and hopefully my father doesn't listen to this because then there'll be an argument tonight. I know that. 
Um, but especially with the bench, it's just a big risk of injury. And that's why it I is. very much try to stay away from it. I mean, like, you know, especially for, for your pecs, it's, it's, it's very risk averse. It's not risk averse. It's very risky. Um, it is. You're coming down you could tear a pec so yeah. easily, especially if you're yeah. doing too much weight. Um, but that I'm getting, I'm getting very lifting controversial on here right now. I didn't mean for that. <laughs> Um, cause I know, especially with my friends, this is like, the, you know, we'll, we'll argue for hours about it. Uh, but I, I, I love the love for lifting. It's one of my favorite things ever. But one thing I wanted, I wanted to talk about because I didn't get to talk about it with Patrick. We just never got to it. I want to talk about your podcast. Cause I, I find it very interesting. I know you focus on the Supreme court and Patrick does more of the Illinois Supreme Court and the district courts and everything about that. Can you tell me a little bit how you started that podcast, why you started it even, and how it's been? Sure. And I, for, I forgot that you, uh, you had interviewed Patrick, so that that's great. And uh, <laughs> so so uh, Patrick and I knew each other from Chicago Bar and from other uh, walks and, and uh, both been, you know, supporting the insurance industry and, and been around it for a long time. And uh, we were in a pod on LinkedIn during COVID. They, you know, these pods started where people would support each other's posts and stuff. And uh, like in December of 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 uh, 2020, yeah, 2020, he sends me an email and says, "Hey, I want to start doing a podcast. Do you know anything about podcasts?" I'm like, "You know, I listen to them sometimes, but you know, I don't know any of the services out there. I don't know what." platforms you can do i don't i don't know anything about it and and then we started talking and he's like you know i want to do it about appellate cases and i want to do this and uh so so we uh we started investigating and and uh, we got the equipment and we we started and, and got going and uh we just uh last uh this past sunday uh was was our start of our fourth uh, year of doing it believe it or not we started in 2021 the first Sunday in, in uh, January. We do it every week. Uh, we typically cover three cases. Uh, and Pat, Patrick and I, uh, Pat and I, we, um, he picks the cases typically. He, he's, I, again, if you follow uh, Pat Eckler, and, and for those listening, if you're a law student, any interest in insurance or civil procedure or, or a lot of things, he, he's an amazing uh, resource of information. He, he covers more cases than we cover on the podcast. He's writing amicus brief. He's writing uh, uh, articles for defense journals and speaking and, and traveling and, and, and uh, successful practice. But he, uh, uh, what, what happens is he, he picks the cases or he'll send me a bunch of cases and be like, you know, which of these cases? Then uh, I usually uh, draft the outline, the first draft of the outline, uh, kind of randomly assign the cases. Uh, sometimes I do two cases of the three. Sometimes I do one. A lot of times the format's just that. Um, and uh, like you said, we cover the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, Indiana Supreme Court, Illinois Appellate, Indiana Appellate, uh, seven circuit cases that involve those two states, occasionally Wisconsin, but not much. And then uh, the Supreme Court of the United States. And yeah, I, I, I've, uh, you know, I, I follow the Supreme Court. Pat does now a little bit now too, uh, more than he used to probably, and, uh, and and we talk about the three cases, and then we predict how they're going to come out. We keep tabs on that. We have a rule of the week, uh, which is uh, again for law students, uh, very can be very instructive. 
We talk about not only uh, Illinois Supreme Court rules, rules of civil procedure. Uh, we talk about all these different rules. We talk sometimes about things that appellate lawyers don't want to do, right? Be argumentative or uh, or or whatever. You know, we talk about the hallucination stuff. We talk about all this stuff, that uh, and we package that and uh, uh, we get it out. And then uh, we we uh, used to do it a lot more. Uh, we've got a couple of special episodes coming up, but. We have special guests come on sometimes and talk about things that are related to a big case that's uh, either before one of those courts or about appellate law in general. And uh, it's been great fun. And, uh, you know, the biggest issue with any podcast, as, as, as you know, Nate, is is getting the following. And, and we're so niche that, you know, we're, we're really fo- – I mean, we're focused on appellate cases <laughs> – so there's, you know, in Indiana and Illinois and seven circuits. So that's like, you know, there's maybe a couple hundred people that ever go to any appellate court. And then the Supreme Court's much more followed, but uh, we we uh, we enjoy it. And, and uh, you know, it's it's more a, more a work of, of, of love. Uh, for Patrick, it's great, I think, because I think it ties in with his practice a lot. He does a lot of the cases and stuff that we cover. For me, I'm not a litigator primarily. But the privacy and cyber stuff we do, uh, and, and just in general, I still get referrals. I get calls. I get inquiries because people I think have, have seen that I at least uh, seem to bluff that I have a knowledge of, you know, the cases we're talking about and some of the intricacies. Yeah, I I, I think, well, first of all, shout out to, if anyone's out there listening, Podium and Panel Podcast is the place to be. Um, I have listened to a couple episodes before. I love your intro music. I think it's so beautiful. I want my own intro music. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, but I, I think something that I've referenced with, with Patrick and I talked about on the podcast when I had him on, I, I referenced uh, Odysseus because you guys sort of have created this sort of roadmap of where the law is going throughout, I guess, the four years we've been doing the podcast. I know he told me that he had every single post and writing he's ever had on one Google Doc. It's like 11,000 pages or something. Right. And I just thought that was amazing because he can truly, truly keep track of what is going on and, and kind of reference back to earlier cases that he had covered and be able to do that, especially and and just at a sort of surface level, just for his own work, he can always look back to what he wrote previously. I just found that fascinating. And I think it's really, really useful for really anyone uh, sort of in, in the Tadisius way to keep a log. I know, you know, there's a he, lot of controversy. What's it true enough? But he, he turned me on a bit to that. And I, you know, I wish I, I wish I did a better job of it. Uh, I, I did do it for certain things like Supreme Court dates. I, I post on Supreme Court dates on Twitter and on LinkedIn, or X, I guess, not Twitter. And uh, I've done that. I was doing it for a while when I did the mini book reviews I do on Saturdays and Sundays. And then I, now I just type them right onto LinkedIn so I don't keep them. But Pat's the master of that. When you Again, when you look at his post, it's not just a post about a particular case. He uh, will reference that this is uh, uh, different than the, a different district in Illinois that, that decided on it or it's consistent and then he'll put in the in all the comments uh he'll have links to papers he's written on it and presentations and other cases he's just again 
someone asked, people always ask me when, when, when they have lunch with me, you know, how does he do it? You know? And, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, he, and he writes a column for the daily law bulletin like I do every week. So he, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how he finds the time, honestly. Yeah. I, I, he, Patrick Eckler, absolute machine. And <laughs> really one of my favorite episodes that I had, uh, he's an extremely intelligent human being, very, very nice person and just yeah. great to talk to. We actually, I remember at, at the end of our episode, we talked about uh, English football for like, yeah, like the last like 10 minutes I, I loved it so much because you know i i love watching soccer it's one of my favorite sports to watch so yeah, you know, just soccer fan just just to know that there, there there is a person behind behind all the lawyer talk uh right. was, was wonderful to see uh now last three questions here the first question now i always say this is like a weird question because i just started asking it because i heard it on a podcast and i was like oh this is a great question now, throughout your day, what are the sort of things that you are consuming, not food, um, just in terms of like media? So, you know, what, what are you reading every day? Maybe I know you said you post on X, you know, what, what are you reading on X, on LinkedIn, on Instagram? I don't know what else you have. What, what are the sort of things you consume throughout your day? Sure. Uh, my, my primary thing I consume uh, during the day when I'm not doing work and, and, and reading other materials is LinkedIn probably uh, just from a perspective of people like Pat, yourself, Jonah uh, Perlin, you know, there, there's so many people on there that are posting good stuff, especially uh, in this uh, since COVID. It's just been a remarkable change. I think in LinkedIn for the better. Um, I get a lot of feeds uh, in, in my thing and I get them from all different types of uh, uh, continuum of, of views. So I get some uh, very conservative uh, feeds that I'll read. Um, I'll get some some kind of middle of the road feeds. I'll get you know above the law comes in my box. Uh, you know I get stuff from Cranes Daily, Cranes uh, Daily, uh, the Chicago Business, uh, Daily Law Bulletin. Uh, but I like to read a lot of stuff. And then you know one of my biggest uh, suppliers of information and sometimes uh, things from my columns is is my wife. She uh, she doesn't work, and she she reads the the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, a bunch of other online papers every day. Uh, sends all kinds of stuff, you know, on all kinds of topics. You know, it could be hotels and or Starbucks and and their online app, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. And I read those with interest. Um, I've got a couple of Substack subscriptions. Steve Laddick was one uh, uh, who writes about the Supreme Court every day. And then his wife writes once a week, I think, or once a month in that column. Um, I read uh, Geidner. I read a bunch of that stuff as well. I, I look at SCOTUS blog every day, given my interest in the Supreme Court. Um, I get a lot of stuff from friends and people in different organizations that will send me articles or things. Uh, Pat is somebody that, you know, sparks like, uh, he'll send me texts and, and different articles. He sent me something the other day about the 14th Amendment and Section 3 and, and uh, uh, an argument by Steve Calabrese that uh, that the president of the United States is on an officer. Uh, that might be my next column in the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin for next Monday. Um, I understand where they're coming from, but I think that that's, a, uh, again, having worked in the corporate world forever and having worked at nonprofits, 
if you, if you say that a pres- president's not an officer because the bylaws say that he appoints all other officers or all officers, um, it's, it's a bit of a stretch. And the one thing that I, I, I sent to Pat last night, he hasn't responded yet, I don't think, is uh, the, the Office of Legal Counsel in 1973, when, when a guy by the name of uh, Richard Nixon was, was considering whether he could be impeached and things, uh, the first line of it is talks about how it's an officer that's different than any other officer, including the vice president of the United States. Uh, there's a 1799 Postal Act, John Adams wrote in there, uh, that uh, free postage for life for all officers of the United States, including the president. Um, there's that. Uh, president Trump, when his, when his uh, U.S. Postal Office, uh, when, when he was uh, sued on, on collecting rents while he was president, uh, he had to remove the federal court based on the fact that he was an officer and that that uh, statute uh, for removal talks about officers, that the president's an officer. So there's that. And then I know that the Section 3 talks about Senate and electors, that the language was in originally. It's no longer there. <laughs> I think, you know, I think what the Supreme Court's going to do there as an aside is I think they're going to say, you know what, he's an officer, but it's not self-executing or secretaries of state camp, you know, by fiat remove people. I think that's going to be the conclusion, but, uh, you know, I, I've been wrong before. That's why we do predictions <laughs> sure to go wrong on our podcast. Yeah, I, I, I love we're getting a sneak peek into into next week's column here, uh, live here on the, on, the, on the Lawyers in the Making podcast. Um, you reference above the law. I think I'm, I think I'm subscribed to their newsletter. I always get their emails. I know they have um, this one guy I talked to. It was like, it was last year, so it was before I had any podcasts. I'm forgetting his name, but he had done this presentation for mock trial because I was the programming guy, so I set up all the programs and stuff. And he was talking about how like the U.S. World and News rankings of law schools are so bad, and and all the you know, and and so he was like, you should look at above the law because they have a very comprehensive list. They really break it down. I know it was like. Something like 25% of the ranking on U.S. news is like from the people themselves. So like if you were yeah. a judge and you're like, this is a good law school, it would boost it up the rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like the yeah. big thing with it. So that I know above the law. And speaking of Scoutus blog, Adam Feldman, he will be he will be here Thursday. Very excited for yeah. that. So I, I I'm uh, became very close with Adam uh, in terms of his work. I've... I've uh... I've chatted with him frequently. He's reviewed uh, some of the uh, articles and stuff I've, I've written. I was supposed to uh, do a session for his class uh, out in California, and uh, I was. Uh, it turned out I had to be traveling that day because of uh, a, a long story and a storm and, and things and weather delayed it, so I wasn't able to do that. But he and I are regular. We, we post each other's names sometimes on posts. He's, uh, again... Uh, for for your listeners, if you're not following Adam, uh, you should should be following him. He uh, does statistics and analysis and is often quoted by uh, major media outlets on his work. Uh, he he analyzes how much time each justice speaks. He talks about the the cases. He uh, uh, is really just a, a fascinating uh, a person. And uh, so that's great that you're going to do him on Thursday. And uh, he's a uh, yeah he's a, he's a wonderful person. And and oftentimes in my in my my daily law bulletin column, 
uh, I, I cite or quote him and, and give a shout out to him, Steve Laddick sometimes, others, just because his work is always uh, very usable. Uh, recently, he talked about the uh, he did an analysis of precedent overturning, and I'd written some some kind of extensive papers on that, so I shared them with him, um, and uh, just, just an interesting person. So it's uh, another person that LinkedIn has has been great for him. I think he was on Twitter for a long time, uh, and then I think he eventually made the, the the jump over to to LinkedIn, and I think it's been very good for him. Yeah, I, I he I remember seeing him a, a while back. I don't I forget how I had found him, but I found it very interesting. And I think what he does in his life is very very interesting. Sort of that judicial behavior. I know he does uh, teach uh, public law at the university he works at. I'm forgetting the university he works at, but Santa Barbara is it? I think it is Santa Barbara. It's yeah. somewhere in California, California yeah. state though, uh, yeah. but. I would be very interested to talk talk to him about that because I was fortunate enough. I took public law uh, last year and I found a very fascinating class. I, I, I never really was able to look at things from those sort of perspectives. I know there's like the the big three judicial behaviors and it's like, uh, you know, it, it do do judges do it by the law? Do they have an attitude or is it, um, oh, I forget the, it's like the median one where it's like the Senate and thing. I don't know. Yeah. But it was taught by Matthew Kirk, who's one of my favorite professors ever. I will forever shout him out. I will be 80 yeah. years old still talking about Matthew Kirk. Um, so I, I love, love shouting him out. One of my probably my favorite teacher I've ever had in high school, middle school, college. And he's only an adjunct professor. He's not even a doctor yet. Um, so oh, he he's not a lawyer in the making, but he's a political theorist in the making. His dissertation out soon. So important stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Now, second to last question here. You're always working, you're always traveling, lifting weights. But what does an ideal Friday night or Sunday morning look for Dan Cotter? So Friday nights it's it's preparing for the podcast a little bit and then uh hanging out with my wife of thirty five years and, and change and uh usually watching something, you know, ordering out or eating eating uh, some food that we've ordered or she's made and uh, watching, you know, we, we did a, a run of Game of Thrones uh, recently. We caught up on that and finally watched it and really enjoyed it. Uh, we're watching now uh, uh, White Lotus season two. Uh, we just started that last night and uh, really got a hoot out of the first season. And so that's that Friday night. And then I'm usually in bed pretty early. I passed out and and uh want to get up early saturday morning to get get my my workouts in with my my ccd uh <laughs> for, for saturday sunday mornings is uh what, what's typically been happening in recent weeks is that pat and i have been doing the podcast early uh 7 8 a.m just because of travel and because of other circumstances but uh so sunday morning for me is is typically before we we shift it is again uh meet with ccd uh, get get my hour of power in again. Uh, get back to the house, clean up, do the podcast, and then uh, as often as possible when I'm not traveling uh, on Sundays, I, I tend to go over to my dad's uh, apartment. He's at independent living. Uh, last uh, Sunday was, was really kind of gratifying for me because he's got he's lost his hearing. He's he's about 90 years old, 
Uh, he'll be 90 in March. God bless, knock on wood. But uh, he, uh, I bought him uh, for Christmas with my siblings uh, some hearing aids online. And so we brought those over and tested them. And, you know, uh, when you're over with him, we watch football, we talk about whatever. And then uh, and then I get home. Uh, and, and, again, one of the things that uh, my wife and I have started doing again with the winter here now is uh, we try to get a yoga session in on Saturday or Sunday and uh, and then and and get ready for you know the the next week so that's uh that's kind of the weekend and a lot of reading in between again I, I post those reviews and uh, uh, many reviews I try to read two books a week sometimes you know I, I uh, uh, one of the things Pat uh, did for recently was he turned me on to the scheduling on LinkedIn. And so I'm a bit ahead for a couple of weeks in terms of books. And uh, a couple of them are actual uh, lawyer books. One's Jay Harrington. So I don't know if you've had on the show, but Jay Harrington has a book about selling yourself an hour a day that the most valuable client you have is you and uh, so for business development. And then there's another book. I can't think of the author, but it's called The, uh, the T-Shaped Lawyer. And again, it talks about having a very broad, base and knowledge, but a lot of stuff we've been talking about on the show, the networking, the, the business acumen, the kind of, you know, keeping in touch and, and then being deep, that T is the deep, you know, actual knowledge on something. And so uh, those are coming up, but uh, yeah, that's, that's my weekend. And then they're always too short, right? And then you're, you're <laughs> back at the, back in the saddle. Back in, back at Monday. It always comes back yeah. to Monday. Right? I, can, I can, I can tell very much then that you are certainly not afraid for any new experiences that doing yoga, reading all these books, trying out LinkedIn. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> and definitely Jay Harrington. I will find him because I love, I love the, I love the concept of selling. It's like, well, I don't know why I'm fascinated by it. And to hear that there's a book out there and that he's an author. Yeah. I will say. And, and he's a former lawyer and uh, a very successful one. He was at big law. Then he was on his own with some people. Now he's a coach and for law students. And so, uh, yeah, look him up, Jay Harrington. He's uh, and he posts great content as well, a lot from his book, but a lot of just stuff, a lot of wisdom on time management, on other other things, your your mental well being, all that stuff. Yeah, a couple episodes back, I had a uh, Hersha on, and uh, he was he worked at On Deck Capital. He was like a loan salesman for seven years, and then he decided I'm going to go to law school. Um, so we had a very extensive talk about selling uh selling and selling yourself and you know in every interaction that you have you're you're selling a little piece of yourself as well to in 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 sort of in in tan in tandem with the deal that you're making you know he he talked a lot about when when you're a salesman you're talking to people you know you, you take a different approach is this my friend or is this a client uh, and you just do that in order to make the sale. Uh, so I, I found that very fascinating. Now, the last thing, Dan, the last thing that I do on the show every single time, I always have the words of wisdom. Dan, what are your words of wisdom for the law students, the legal professionals, and the aspiring lawyers out there? So, so my word of uh, wisdom is is something that I uh, when I had lunch uh, uh, this week with the with the yesterday with the uh, law student who's looking to be in big law. When I, when I talk to my kids, when I talk to anybody, law or not, is is think of yourself almost being like one of those money win machines 
and be willing to grab all the money you can and and all those things and and the other kind of uh visual image I give is, is think of having a quiver on your back and, and pick up as many arrows as you can and keep putting them back in the thing like a video game, right? So you have, at the end of the day, your quiver is, is about the size of you and you got so many arrows. And those arrows are different experiences. And so we talked a lot about my kind of shifts and jobs and things. And so when I went back to CNA Financial, uh, I, I had two years of experience as a, as a lawyer. I was a litigator. And, and didn't know anything about corporate transactional. Uh, knew a little bit about Y2K because we were doing some advisory, and and I quickly became the Y2K general counsel. Nobody else wanted it. I uh, was a global runoff uh, for a while, dealing with stuff in the United Arab Emirates and in uh, uh, Australia, trying to fi- fix problems that uh, CNA had inherited. Uh, was doing startups for warranty. And uh, became the kind of person that people went to that said, "Hey, who who can do this job? You know, who can get something done and uh, get it done effectively?" And then it, that kind of piggyback. So when I went to Unitrin and then Argo, it was all built upon, right? It was like, okay, well, this guy. And I, again, I, I I think of that. You know, those uh, there used to be a game show, I think, right, where you were in the wind tunnel, all the money was yeah. grabbing, and you grabbed as much and whatever you had in your hands at the end of the day. Um, so, so, so that's one. And then, in a like manner, we talked about business development a little bit, uh, Nate. I think that it's the same thing there. Uh, grow your network. Uh, don't be shy about reaching out to people that might be a stretch that you think, well, they're never going to uh, be friends with me. Uh, I've, I've become friends with Brian Cuban. We don't have time for that story, but uh, there was a Twitter Twitter post years ago. I don't even remember what it was about, and he he like it tore me a new one right on out in public said I was ignorant and all this stuff. And then he sent me a private message like, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, all this stuff. But in any event, stretch on that, uh, stay in touch with them. And again, it's, it's like the money machine because you, you can, uh, as, as a young lawyer, as a law student start, you know, get to know your classmates, get to know the person at the Starbucks, you know, be, be nice to everybody as well. Um, a lot of a lot of thoughts uh, on on that words of wisdom, but I think I think that uh, what it shows is again uh, one of one of my biggest referral sources these days is is a person he called while we were uh, while we we're taping this. I saw uh, on my phone his his uh, call come in. He was an extern for me. Then I said he went in house. I started doing work for that client. Then he moved to another client in a bigger role, and he started sending me business that way. And then He's introduced me to people that he's got no connection with other than he's having coffee or a beer. They're in his network. Dan's a guy. Dan's, Dan's an excellent resource, and uh, that will do you well because at the end of the day in the practice of law uh, or any any profession, the the biggest value you can bring in addition to having skills at what you do is, is having a, a book of business that you can then leverage, negotiate, have security with. I can tell you so many stories of people that I've met along the way that were second chairs on big tobacco litigation or other things. And then when that settled or whatever, they didn't have a position anymore, you know, and they'd been there for their entire career. So those are some words of wisdom. And and again, uh, like you said, don't be afraid to try new things, just like, you know, 
uh, one of the things I think that's uh, uh, I compare it to these days is, is I wasn't a fussy eater, but you know I didn't eat a lot of like I didn't eat like sushi for a long period of time. I didn't eat like raw tuna, sashimi. I, I didn't eat all kinds of stuff. And nowadays I'll try almost anything uh, again or or try it for the first time. And and it's just again it's opened up my 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 palate. It's opened up. Uh, and you were like, why did I never try this? It's so delicious. So same thing with 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 law. Um, and and finally, uh, uh, a word of wisdom, uh, Nate, is is, it, is if you're looking to get into a certain area, you asked about demutualizations. If you if you hear something, you see something online, you don't know what it is, or you want to know more. Again, like Nate said, most most lawyers uh, are going to be gracious, willing to. It doesn't cost anything to get on a Zoom, a Teams meeting. It costs very little to have a cup of coffee. Even a lunch is not going to uh, kill kill most lawyers. Is is they're willing to share that wisdom? And again, that gives you a, a wisdom base. And it, it could be that eventually you write papers with them or you work with them. So uh, uh, be open to all of that. Perfectly said, Dan. I could not agree more. And with the new experience... I my Chipotle order is still white rice cheese and steak. My brother's girlfriend <laughs> makes fun of my entire family because she's like, "You guys are so so very uh very very foundational. You don't get away from what we do." Uh, but that's just my Chipotle order. I like doing uh other things as well. Don't worry. But that's the pod. Dan, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in, and I will see you in the next one.